ようこそ仲間どもとです。スプーキーエディションのおかしなポッドキャストアニメは、Departed Friends。I am your ghostly hostly Sabrina and with me the newly risen from the grave Dawn of the Dead。Now let's talk about this charming series about high school girls making anime. <laughs> let's do that. Yeah. They really are quite charming. Are you ready to go? The kingdom? Discuss our third series、uh, on this show. Keep your hands off the Azo Ken.、Um, Dawn, this week I watched something very interesting, something I never thought I would see. I, I checked out the first episode of the sequel to Inuyasha, Hanyo no Yashahime. You did? I am very curious. Tell me more. Well, there wasn't much to say. There's not much to say because a lot of it is just like, I think the episode is called. After Inuyasha, or like what happened after Inuyasha, and it just catches you up with the characters not too long after the conclusion of Inuyasha. So, Inuyasha and Kagome are living together in the feudal,、uh, in feudal Japan, and、um, Miroku, I think that's the name of the monk, right? <laughs> it's God, it's been so long. It's been a long time. I have some very pertinent questions.、Um... Miroku and Sango are married, and they have kids. Seshomaru apparently in the future had, like, this is, there's two different stories going on. There's like immediately after Inuyasha and they're dealing with some kind of root based monster. And then they show you like little snippets of like、um, Inuyasha's daughter, I think it is, and Seshomaru's daughters, plural. And they are involved in some kind of like、uh, sting operation, or she just, one of them just happened to like fumble into a plot. Well, this sounds amazing, and I, I'm interested in speaking with you more about it at a future time. But I want to ask you right now because I'm, there's a, the one question that I have is where is this supposed to pick up? Am I supposed to have read the entirety of Inuyasha manga and then understand how it's supposed to result? Because the, Anime did not come to any conclusion. I feel like we talked about this. The anime did come to a conclusion, did it not?、Um, in something called Inuyasha, the final season <laughs> or the, the end. Like there was an actual like, final series of Inuyasha in which they. They resolved the plot points? They played out the whole Naraku they played out the whole Naraku thing, I think. I, I thought that there wasn't. I, I guess I had researched it online and I had. Research that they had two seasons of Inuyasha and then there was like, and then they didn't.、Um, they didn't do anything else. So I guess you are implying, first of all, that Inuyasha itself comes to a more or less conclusion. And、right. second, that this picks up.、Um, is all this based on a manga or is it.、Um... Yes.、Um, so it's. Inuyasha is Takahashi Rumiko or、uh, the creator of Urusei Atsura and Rama One Half and Meizoni Koku. And later she would go on to make Rinne. She's a prolific, like, 
kind of legendary manga creator, right? And Inuyasha, mm-hmm. some people consider it her one of one of her best, if not her best works. I was never as into it because I liked the previous stuff more. Like Rama One Half was obviously my high watermark because I've talked about it a lot and we watched it together and it was very it came at a very formative time. But for a lot of our listeners, Inuyasha was probably like the formative anime for them. And it's fun to have it back, but at the same time, I don't know what the point is yet. It's too early to to know for certain. But it did conclude, and this is a con- this is a continuation from that conclusion. All right. Well, I'm definitely going to check it out. I mean, I at this point have got to go back and get caught up on Inuyasha, and then watch Inuyasha the final act. The final act. That's it. Yeah. It would be weird if they called it the final act and it wasn't the final act. That would be that'd be very strange. I did find that uh, Inu- the old Inuyasha stuff is all streaming on Hulu, which means I'll get an opportunity to check it out in all my <laughs> copious free time. Right, right. I could watch Inuyasha with the kids, though. I don't think it's that weird. And they, they, I watched Izoken with them. Um, keep your hands off Izoken. Right. How do you pronounce it again? Izoken. Uh, Izoken. And... They love it. They think it's great. So I'm pleased. But they're also like, when are you doing your series so we can watch more episodes? Oh, no. I thought that might happen. You were telling me before we started doing the podcast that you have been exercising with the Ring Fit Adventure. And I am dead curious about this. Well, (laughs) let me tell you more. So actually, I really wanted to get one even before... Uh, COVID came along and then COVID came along and I was like, oh, now I should go get one. Yes. Well, they were all sold out, but I recently found that they have been, uh, Wait, did you pay $300 for one? No, heck no. I I mean, I want to ring fit. I didn't want it that badly. Um, but they, they recently restocked them. Um, and I ordered one at the beginning of September. Uh, and I figured that this was going to be good for all parties involved. Well, describe what it's like playing it. First of all, I've jacked up the difficulty, um, but my kids, so the kids were the ones who first saw it and this is, so. I was like, good, take this video game and go exercise with it. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, the first day now it tracks the time that you spend exercising and it's pretty precise. So if you are doing a physical activity, that timer is going up. If you are just standing there reading plot points, it does not move. So it is very, like, it gives you a very accurate count of what you're doing. Yeah. And after the first day, my son had spent an hour and a half actually exercising, doing physical activity, not just, like, you know, staring at the screen. So that can, he was enthralled and also very sore the next day, which was... How are you, though? So I am old and crotchety. You You jacked up the difficulty. I did. That's right. So the first time I played, I, like, went for 20 minutes, and I'm like, how many... I did, like, 300 squats, and I'm like, I'm sore now. <laughs> um, like, as you jack it up, so, it like, there's these sequences where you go and you're battling these cute little monsters that yeah. um, are... They look like various pieces of workout equipment or workout adjacent sort of creatures. Oh, I never knew that. Yes. And um, I figured they had like a fantasy patina over them. Well, there there is. There's like this, there's this one big boss who keeps moving around and sort of like Mario, you know, you need to go and defeat the boss and then the boss moves somewhere else or something um, when you're trying to chase down Bowser. Okay. So... In this case, there's this like workout dragon and you have to go and face him, but you face a bunch of little enemies along the way, shaped like barbells or shaped like... The slimes of the exercise world. Indeed, indeed. 
So you can you pick an activity or some sort of workout, squats, lunges, um, sit-ups, something of this nature, mm-hmm. and you've, you're wearing one controller and sometimes you're holding a hoop with a other controller. And so it'll track what you do. And because I had the difficulty level a little higher, instead of doing like 10 squats, it would make me do 25 squats. Um, <laughs> and it also changes it up. Like you do a certain number and then it's like the next ones you have to do double time. And each one that you do does a little bit of damage to your opponents. And there's a plot around it. But honestly, you're working out. So at the end of the day, you, at, at best, you need to be distracted from working out. And it does a fairly good job of it. And honestly, it's kind of funny because the little avatar on screen will yell and be like, Good job! Keep going! You're doing it! And, <laughs> oh, like the Wii Fit. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, honestly, you know, if you're... It's a fun little diversion, and if you take it and you're like, "Well, this doesn't make exercise fun enough," like you just gotta you gotta give up, man. You gotta realize that exercise. There's a reason that it's exercise and not like super fun. And a lot of people play sports because they use that to mentally distract themselves from the exercising portion. And just you know, until we have fully immersive environments, you're not gonna be able to do stuff like that. There's no hollow, you know, um, holodex. Don't you destroy know. my dreams. Well. I mean, it's not the holodeck, but it's a start. It's a start. It is, yeah. Um, Nintendo's really good at guilting you. Like, I play Animal Crossing, and they send me letters now, like, or they sent me a letter saying, like, hey, you haven't been by lately. Don't you care about us? (laughs) And, like, I'll show up, and they'll be like, oh, we haven't seen you for a while. I wonder what you've been doing that's so important. (laughs) And the Wii Fit, the Wii Fit, if you didn't use it for a while, or even if you did, sometimes you'd get on it. And instead of making the like weird happy sound that it's like, hey, you're back in the Wii Fit world, it would be like, (laughs) 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 and it would be be like, oh, geez, you got fat. Oh, man, what's wrong with you? You might be projecting a little bit, but oh, I would say you I will record that sound for you and play it right now. <laughs> Please look it up right now. But oh. the what I would say is that um yes, you will get actually I've only really seen positive reinforcement like I did it once and then like I didn't do it for a couple days and I came back they're like, oh great, it's we're so glad to see you back for day two. And like, you know, the same sort of, it's so good to get in an exercise routine. Wouldn't you, don't you feel better when you work out more regularly? And so I've been going back and it keeps, it keeps saying these positive things um, to me, to, I suppose, to get me to keep coming back. But there's no negative reinforcement like, Hey, fatty, what you been up to? <laughs> you know, none, none of that. Well, I I will get to the show that we actually are doing briefly, but I did want to mention that <laughs> I, I started playing 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim, which is the new vanilla software or vanillaware game. Pardon me. Uh, they are known for sort of like um, 2D animated, be- beautiful painterly Games like Odin Sphere or Dragon's Crown. Their other games are a little too heavy on the like over-sexualization of the characters and a little too like overly styled for my taste. Like the the muscles are really weird looking and like I don't know. There's something icky about the designs. But they're also beautiful. They're so beautiful. And 
the new one has that, but it's a sci-fi instead of their usual fantasy. And it's about these 13 like high school students that are involved in some kind of weird time loop uh, that that involves the end of the world, possibly like um, like it takes place in like five different eras, and you can kind of switch between them depending on which character you are, when, and what you do with them. So like at first the game you just described the plot of Dark. <laughs> there you go. On there you go. Maybe they the strange bedfellows, right? <laughs> I mean, it, it honestly, if I had took that soundbite out of out of this podcast and put it into something else, people would be like, oh, they're describing dark. Anyway, so it's an interesting thing. If you haven't watched that, um, it's fantastic. I, we talked about that previously, I think, on the show, but this... Sorry, go no, on. No, the game is interesting because although I hated the prologue because it was literally just walking from scene to scene and pushing a button to talk and then walking to another scene and then there would be these sections that were military combat, but you could only do like one thing. Because the game was teaching me how to play, but it took like two and a half hours to do. And I kept falling asleep every night. But I finally passed the hurdle uh, of the prologue and the game suddenly opens up and suddenly I'm able to choose whether they go to have crepes or they have soft cream. Soft serve. Uh, You haven't really convinced (laughs) me that this is... These are the decisions. I mean, like, I want to make the decision in real life. Also, you you now have, like, control of, like, six different kids in their robots. And they have different specialties. And you can customize them in different ways. And the battles are fought on, like, almost like an RPG map. Like a... Like not like not like a, a JRPG, like a like an actual physical role playing game, or like one of those like strategy tactics games. Like, there's no real detail to anything. Like the, even the characters that are fighting each other don't really look like anything. They look like circles or like um, like uh, a bunch of triangles and stuff. It's all representative of these anime styled um, mech mech creations and machines and stuff and that's probably a good place to talk about a show that has an abundance of of imagination we are covering keep your hands off the eizouken the japanese title is eizouken ni wa teiwadasuna eizouken is basically um the film research club i think they just translate it as eizouken in all of the materials because you look that up, it's easy to find. You talk about it, it's easy to recognize what you're talking about. If it was keep your hands off the film research club, you might be less inclined <laughs> to like spread the word or or like get enthusiastic about it. But Azoken sounds exciting somehow. It's the story of three high school girls who form an anime club together, each filling specific and complementary roles. They're all dreamers of one kind or another. We've got Asakusa Midori. She has sort of the vision, and she also supplies backgrounds, concepts, settings, and machine art. Uh, Her friend Kanamori Sayaka, who keeps the production going, handling the money woes, sort of strong-arming people when she needs to, considering the bottom line. And then there's the animator, Mizusaki Tsubame, who, aside from being a model and an actress... She draws the characters, she she imbues them with life. And the series is basically about their passion, their struggle, and their friendship as they attempt to make anime from scratch, basically. It was created by a man named Owara Sumito, who's pretty young. I think he was born in 1993. And it's directed by... Uh, uh, I, 
what is that word we keep using? Hot button? The hot button director. <laughs> is that the word that we've been using? I don't remember using that word. It's directed by the rather popular director, uh, Yuasa Masaaki, who is, um, he did uh, Tatami Galaxy. He did uh, Ping Pong, the the anime adaption of Ping Pong. He also did the the movie the night is long walk on girl the night is short walk on walk long girl am i getting this right <laughs> you should probably check before we say something weird like the that. night is short <laughs> the, white, the night is short walk on girl that's that's what the title is which is sort of a pseudo sequel spiritual sequel to tatami galaxy uh he also did devil devil man cry baby uh oh. on netflix or I found that one to be too disturbing. Oh, I haven't watched it yet, but I'm I I didn't I didn't get into it from the first episode, so I may revisit it at some point. But uh, suffice to say that this this series is not disturbing. It's quite charming. <laughs> no, this series is um, so you've given us a lot of background, but and I've watched at this point two episodes, um, but they're incredible. I thought this was extremely charming uh i found the characters very compelling uh the environment captivating yeah uh, i i just have nothing bad to say about it and nothing but good good feelings uh, arising from it like it's it's really to me a beautiful manifestation of what what a lot more anime should be and and doesn't rely on any sort of fancy tropes or cataclysmic events like these are just friends trying to build a world and use their active imaginations at least through episode two i really like the three girls especially because they aren't like they're so real they feel like they're just hanging out a lot of the time and the way that they interact with each other uh the light ribbing the sort of like earnestness of their enthusiasm towards creating these things together is infectious like and the world they inhabit is very strange. It's the town that they're in uh, has, it's almost like there's a secret side to it that, for instance, there's a coin laundromat and to get into it, it's like way out of the way. And to get into it, you actually have to like duck down <laughs> and go underneath the air conditioner. And what's funny about that is it kind of reminded me of like, of my own time in Japan when I was going to school in Hirakata City, in in the Osaka Prefecture, there was a uh, there was a bar, and it was it was halfway to the city, halfway to the town, and halfway to like where the like students lived near the school, and it was it it was like a rundown like train car, and you went inside, and there wasn't even space to get to your own seat without having to like physically pass over another person. And you couldn't stand up because the ceiling was too low, except for the very short. Like, I'm not saying that Japanese are even that short. Like, I had friends who were Japanese who had to duck down. (laughs) And what was worse than that is that on the ceiling, there was a parade of, like, cockroaches sometimes. And, like, I actually thought they had one of the best, like, hamburger and rice dishes I've ever had. It was so simple, so plain, but they gave you a lot of rice. The hamburger was cooked perfectly. They had some kind of secret ingredient that I was probably too naive to understand back then. 
culinarily speaking, if that's a word. But um, it was it was wild because I would take a little bit of my rice and a little bit of my hamburger and I'd put it out for the cockroaches and they'd come and like eat it and leave my food alone. That's hideous. It is hideous, uh, but it has I, it has the same kind of charm. You you haven't actually sold me on the charm of this. However, I will say. Um, it does feel like a mashup. First, the first one that comes to mind is Venice because there's constant water and canals in this particular Ooh, city. Ooh, I like that. And then Good observation. I, I feel like the the sort of little crunched out of the way place actually um, is quite endemic of of Japan and certainly of Europe and places as well, where it's like somebody just did something in a corner somewhere and it became famous or popular, and there it there it lives in some improbable place. Um, and I just think you are probably sharing a uh, North American bias because our cities are more planned than most of the ones um, in the old country of, of oh, yeah. Japan. Or, yeah. of, you know, I mean, it's it's very funny in that context. Um, but I, I think it adds a lot more mystique and interest um, and it just makes things more exciting. Well, it's never said specifically in the show, but there are parts of Japan where the old world exists under everything and they just kept building on top of it. Like um, there have been cities that were raised to the ground by earthquakes or bombing. And those cities are modern with like little specific touches of the old Japan. But then there are the cities that just like, they just built up on top of it. Like I always considered Boston that way in America. Like, The roads in Boston, when I grew up, made no sense. They basically just took the the horse and buggy paths and then paved over them. Like, sometimes roads would just disappear into nothingness. Like, you'd just be driving and suddenly you'd be going the wrong way on a street. And you'd be like, wait, when did the street turn? And the street name is different suddenly. But it's not. (laughs) Like... I had so much trouble driving in, in Boston as a student because I, I went to school in Worcester, Mass, like a, like an hour away, and we would go there on the weekends. And sometimes <laughs> I would just, like trying to get to um, Anime Crash or the, the, the anime stores in Harvard Square, like I would just be in a maze, the, uh, an invisible maze that I couldn't see. It took a long time for me to learn. The ins and outs of Boston driving. And that was before the Big Dig. So, I, I, you know, the Big Dig was messing with everything, too. But the Big Dig is this, like, underground tunnel project that they had going for years I think it's made things better, years. actually. I think it probably uh, has as well. <laughs> Couldn't have made things much worse. But, yeah. I, I do love that this town is, is like, her, her apartment building is built on a river of some sort. And her school I, and is That's as how well. we start. They... They're moving into this new space and it's like, oh, I'm going to go exploring, which uh, to me was actually a great way to start the whole series. Like, so that too. is what kids want to do. Yeah. Like kids want to explore. They want to like find out what's around the corner, what's going on. Like what a cool place to move into. What an interesting like that to me is the start of all great adventures. Like let's just go exploring. Let's explore. 
Yeah, I kind of feel the same way about the movie Coraline, where at first she gets into this weird place that her parents go to just so they can finish their writing projects. She's completely left to her devices, and she just goes around and discovers all these weird little eccentricities about the place. Like, I remember there's a scene where she's jumping on the carpet, and the carpet has, like, this one lump in it, and it keeps moving because it's animation, you know? I don't know if you've seen Coraline, but it was stop motion, but it's brilliant. And it has a very similar feel to sort of like that that that, that uh, feeling of exploration that you just spoke of. Yeah. I mean, to translate this, this is actually one reason that I thought um, the Breath of the Wild Legend of Zelda game was so amazing. Because part of it was just there's this whole world and you can just do whatever you want and yeah. just explore it. It really has nothing like, yes, there's a plot and yes, there's things you need to do, but darn if you can't just go around trying to you know chop wood and mess around with these wild horses and watch the sunset like it's amazing i felt the same way when we were kids about quest for glory or uh hero's quest i think it was called then hero's quest where you would just yeah. sort of be wandering in the woods or like trying to like build up your stamina and you'd discover king's something quest. cool yeah king's quest like you'd be you'd happen upon adventure like you'd, you'd go around a corner and there'd be like a bird sitting on a on a stump and you'd want to find out like is it hiding something if i if i give it something will it give me something like i always like that stuff so i like that azokan is sort of bringing back these specific kind of memories um when we first meet midori she's as you said this is a flashback to when she was just a little girl and um she wants to be an adventurer and she decides that you know through this through discovering uh, she doesn't decide. Let me say that again. She wants to be an adventurer. And it's not until she sees this anime on TV. And the one that she watches is is important here because this isn't just some anime. And it's not listed under its actual title, I don't think. But the title is, obvi- is an obvious allusion to um, Future Boy Conan, the the first directing debut of Miyazaki Hayao who would go on to do to become basically Japan's <laughs> Japan's Akira Kurosawa <laughs> the Akira Kurosawa of animation you know like <laughs> <laughs> sorry I just realized what you did there and that that was uh yeah well played he basically became the Disney of Japan is what I was gonna say <laughs> Yeah, that would have been a much better way to phrase it, I think. <laughs> but then I went in a different direction. I'm going to keep that, though. I'm going to keep that for all yeah, of you, you should, listeners. Cause... Because I am I get that way sometimes, and I don't feel like... Anyway, no, what I was saying Sabrina has not been drinking. <clears throat> she had already been running around making crude drawings and animating her little drawings with action and stuff. And we saw sort of inside her inside her imagination where everything was moving and like she was creating these things that were starting to like clang. And I love the fact that like that when they're, when they're dreaming about these, like these worlds and bringing them to life with, uh, with drawings and stuff that like all the sound effects are done by their mouths. I don't know if you watched in Japanese, but in Japanese there's something called Giongo, which is like sound words. And there's a lot of them. Like, so for instance, there was a sky tram and it arrives and it goes, Ween. and then it goes gotcha when the door is open and then there's like her going up the, the metal ladder someone is saying the word like kang, 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 kang. instead of hearing the sound 
you're hearing a person making the words for the sound. You know, like a like a like a chicken would go cock-a-doodle-doo instead of actually a chicken sound. I just I I'm letting you torture yourself a little longer at describing all this. You've you've actually described it to me before, but I assume you're doing it for our audience. Um, I I I was always fascinated by this particular facet of Japanese culture in that there are lots of sound words. Like here in English, we'll just say it sounded like, and you'll make a noise. Yeah. Um, while as there, there's so many different words that are associated with actual sounds. So if you're talking with someone, you can use the word to describe that particular sound, which is kind of amazing to me. I always use the the example that I love the best, and I, I'm sure I've used it with you, but watch this. Sheen. <laughs> That's the sound of silence. <laughs> you got me. I wouldn't have uh, wouldn't have been able to pick that one up by context alone. I wanted to go back again. I, I got off track there for a second, but basically she's watching Future Boy Conan and we'll revisit this later in the episode when she sits down to a screening of the same one. Mm-hmm. But she realizes for the first time that someone actually made the anime that she watches. It's a very impressive looking anime. It, even just looking at the scenes that they show you, which are almost like the same as the ones in the actual show, even just looking at those, you can see sort of the Miyazaki telltale signs and she starts picking them out later in the episode and like explaining them to you. Like the pace of this, the animation is now set by the boy running after the the craft and look at the way they lift the craft and push it. So that like, it's almost like they're pushing a car, right? Like, I really like those details, but they come later in the episode. But here, this is what causes her to suddenly start thinking about her adventure in terms of putting it on a screen, not necessarily going out and finding it um, for herself and living the adventure. She's going to live it, but she's going to live it through her art is how it feels to me. Is that not how it felt to you? (laughs) No, I I completely agree. And what I loved about, there's sort of a meta-analysis that seemed to go on. Like, this is a show about children or kids who love anime and are trying to understand it themselves. And in the process, we, the audience, are being infected by their love and also getting to learn how to make anime. It's very recursive in that particular way. Like, what is it about it that's appreciable? What about it is um, understandable? And, you know, they're doing a great job of it. Like, I am enthralled by the idea um, behind how they're doing this and how they're going about it. So, um, so it's almost like we're kind of like getting a crash course in how these and, and a history lesson in how these early anime came together, you know, like because we're starting from scratch with with Midor with Asaksa and and the rest of the girls and so are they so we're all learning together but they're super nerdy and when they get on a tear it's almost impossible to follow everything they say if we're using nerdy as a stand-in for enthralled by their subject matter yes we are and in this case their subject matter is anime then yes i guess we can call them super nerdy but i wasn't really viewing them that way i was viewing them just as like excited kids they're just 
totally absorbed in their subject. There's now, there's excited you can, and you can step back. Mm. You can step back and say Asakusa and Mizuzaki. There, <laughs> Asakusa is a nerdy person. Like she's a bit of an introvert. Yes. Um, she's she's a little awkward. She isn't quite sure whether she's coming or going, but she clearly has this great love of anime. I wouldn't say the same for Kanamori at all. Kanamori is far more savvy, and her interest in anime is, at best, passing. Um, exactly. Her interest is really more in Asakusa, um, or sort of just just seeing what... She's an opportunist. That's <laughs> the word I would use. Her interest is in money. <laughs> I think she makes that clear yeah, well, several times. Yeah, she does, but, I mean, she's an opportunist. She... She's enjoys this particular environment. She's going to figure out what she can use to maximize that revenue potential, which actually lends the dramatic tension at the end of the second episode. I, I actually found her personally to be the most, uh, the character I, I found the most amusing and I was most interested by just because she's a little bit out of water related to the subject matter. Like I found, I, I would say that Asakusa and Mizuzaki are like the, the heart and soul of what they're trying to do. And you know, when they speak about anime, they do a great job of just showing the love that these characters have for it. But Kanamori doesn't have that love, uh, just as sort of an enabler of these other two, mostly to just see what happens and see what opportunities arise. And oh, is there going to be an opportunity here for me to uh, get my hand in a, in a, in a, in a pie or a pile of money or something? It's, you know, she, and so because of that, she is the most chaotic character. And that's one of the reasons I like her. I was talking about how they're a little atypical, even in their designs. Uh, Kanamari has, Kanamori is tall and she also has pretty bad posture. Asakusa is squat, I would say. She's always kind of like hunched over a bit. Like she's just aching to like get into like a like a pitcher's position you know like and dig into the dirt for something i will be honest because we watch this with subtitles um and because the voice actress um who portrays asakusa is not it's not a melodious voice we my my family and i could not figure out whether it was a he or a she for a good four or five minutes into the anime even when she's wearing the dress we're like Oh, but the way she's... Uh, is it a he? Could be a he. Maybe there, maybe we can't see something about the... It's so interesting to me. Here. I've heard the same... I've heard the same observation from other people and I never got it. It's weird because I read her as female immediately. But I've probably known Japanese women who were like Well, that. she's drawn in a very androgynous way. She's drawn like a child, which it's, I yeah. guess... Some, it, she does appear as if she hasn't fully matured physically yet. I mean, if you... Right? She's, yeah, exactly. She might be a late bloomer. And if you mm-hmm. compare her to our third protagonist, uh, Mizusaki, who is a, like a famous model, or at least famous in that area, maybe not nationwide famous, but... A locally famous Yeah, regionally famous, model. I would say. They, they went a little overboard with that at one point, where like people were popping out of their windows to see her. Hey there, I'm Marn, and I've got a new podcast right here on the Orange Groves Network. Every other Thursday on Dead Letter Society, I'm going to invite a friend into my library of terror to discuss a piece of horror fiction. We'll tackle topics like, why does Stephen King like evil clowns so much? 
Why is IKEA so inherently scary? And why don't young adult publishers like the horror genre? You can even read along with us week to week and weigh in with your own opinions on the Orange Groves Discord. So check out Dead Letter Society, a horror book club podcast, on the Orange Groves Network website or your podcast provider of choice. Jory, have you ever watched the anime called One Piece? Yeah, Joe. I watched for a podcast that we do. What? You know, we are watching One Piece. I started watching it so you could rewatch it, and then we talk about it sometimes. I, I, have, I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, we don't do it super frequently. Once a month the best. Did, did you forget? We analyze the story and discuss the show's themes, characters, compare it to other media, and how it provides an allegory for real-life politics and events. I, I must have forgotten what where can i listen to remind myself you can listen at the orange groves podcast network or search for we are watching one piece in your favorite podcast app what's a podcast I was saying about Midori, uh, Midori, I was saying about Mizusaki is that she's much more feminine and she's got much more poise and grace, which comes from her upbringing. She's more wealthy. She's, her parents are both actors. I'm not going to say too much more about her because you haven't gotten a lot of information about her, but to say that she, com- she holds herself with more composure. She speaks more eloquently than the other two. Uh, Kanamori is more of a brute. <laughs> she's a little bit like uh, straightforward and she's a little bit aggressive. And yeah, and I would say Asakusa is probably the most childish of the three. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. Um, but I would say that Misusaki appears to be one of the most innocent of the three. Um, Naive as well. Yeah. Yeah, she's a little bit. She's I mean, a little bit Asakso sheltered. Asakusa is pretty naive as well. Asakusa is prone to, you know, I was going to say flights of fancy, but that understates the the <laughs> they intensity. Are, they are literal flights of fancy, though. And they every are. single time she does it, she flies. <laughs> or I mean, it's great. It, it's a beautiful incarnation of of what we're doing, of what we're observing here, and it's a perfect medium for this sort of. Um, imagination to blossom and for it to actually represent in in real time and space yes i want to talk about the opening song because it's probably one of my favorite that we've seen i did love the b stars song i wasn't as enthused with the sarazamai song if i'm being honest but this one is so catchy and the dancing is so weird and i later found out that this was like a viral sensation like girls were like doing the like poses where like they they're they're just very awkward looking i very much liked the song um but i only got to hear it once because as we started the second episode my oldest child leaped up grabbed the remote 
and skipped forward through the introduction because he couldn't wait to start watching Aww. the episode. So well, I can't blame. I didn't him. get to. <laughs> I, I can't blame either. But I was like, "Hey, I liked that. I want to see it again." Oh yeah. So I actually want to see the uh, the opening again. I thought it was great. I literally want to see you and your family do a reenactment of the dance. <laughs> That's not going to happen. But uh, oh, it's all slow at one point, and it's just like super slow. Like they're just moving, like really, really, like it's yeah. It's a little bit of a like a drug fever thing going on there, like you know. And there's like a breakdown in the song where they're like doing doing these like again. Sadly, I've only watched it once. I, I really want to see it again. I'm literally doing the moves on the Zoom call that we do, so yeah, we can you see are. each other. But and I'm just watching you do it, and I'm like, great. I'm realizing that nobody can see what I'm doing, and Don's not no. saying anything, so it's just dead I, air. Well, what do you want me to say? I'm like, yep, I guess that's what it looked like, um, I, I think. Mm-hmm. This song is, you're not going to understand this at all, I think, but this song. You know, on a podcast, you could play the song for us. I could, actually, and I will. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> uh, it's yes. very catchy. It's a very catchy song. It's a rap. It's by a band called Kelmico. Um, and that group, Kelmico, they are sort of the inheritors of the rip slime sound, which was once inherited by Halukari and there were a bunch of others. But it's basically a, a very fun party-ish sound that's also hip um, that plays in sort of the hip hop genre. And uh, they've been around for a long time. Not Kelmiko, but that sort of sound, the rip slime sound. And he, one of the rip slime guys, one of the main guys, I think it's real, he is one of the writers of the song so it makes sense <laughs> you are you caught me off guard with the discussion of rip slime and i <laughs> had to hear you say it at least three times before <laughs> i realized that yes indeed the words you were using were rip and slime yeah well uh, i don't i don't actually know what that means i'm sure they had a meaning for it back in the day but they they haven't been active for a long time so they just they basically they basically birthed a style in japan that has prevailed all these years. We talked about our protagonists already, but I want to talk a little bit about how Asakusa and Kanamori are introduced as sort of like friends to the audience because we basically get a scene where Asakusa's on the roof and as you said, she's an introvert, she's not cool with crowds, and she's looking down at uh, at the school job fair, not job fair, at the school club fair where like students can go and they can pick the club that they want to pledge to and uh, for for the next time because they're freshmen and so it's a new year. So they get to choose which club they're part of and she's out of the crowd. She's up above them on top of the school and Kanamori brings her some lunch. And I love the way she's introduced because it's it's, it's a perfect example of show don't tell um, and I feel like in anime, a lot of the times, it's just tell, 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 tell. <laughs> like I, just, I told you, I just watched Kimetsu no Yaiba or Demon Slayer. And like mm-hmm. literally the exposition is just obnoxious and the voiceover is obnoxious. And it's it's all tell. And this is a case where I found out everything I need to know about Kanamori by a few lines of dialogue. Asakusa is waiting for her chains. She asks her change from the the food that Kanamori has brought her. So already we know that Kanamori is someone who gets things done, who's willing to go 
beyond for her friend. And then she's she says, I'm keeping your change because it's a service fee. Did you think you were going to get labor without compensation? And that's everything we need to know to just understand where we're going with these characters, don't you think? I mean, I think you... Well, you've talked about Kanamori and you've given us that... And I agree, that's an excellent distillation of her character. But the um, you the you miss the flip side, which is um, Asakusa saying, "Oh yeah, I guess that's right." The, which is also a distillation of her character, because yeah. she's yeah, she's just not she's sort of oblivious and she's rolling with the punches and she's just going whichever way you know it's going to happen. And she you know she's sitting there, and then you know to round this out, she's like, "Let's go down and we got to go watch this video." Um, and Kanamori's basically like, what's in it for me? Again, a great distillation of her character. Um, but you can feel the infectious energy from Asakusa, which I think is another... I mean, this, I've only seen two episodes again, but this is... You know, you do feel everything you need to know about these characters right here. We already know Kanamori is going to go. It's just a matter of price and commitment, really. <laughs> How much does her friend want to go and how much is she willing to pay for the service of having Kanamori attend it with her? Yeah, they negotiate over milk bottles. <laughs> exactly. They're negotiating over milk bottles, which is so adorable. At one po- at, at this point, Asakusa says what's pretty much the most important part of this first episode. She says, it's hard to make anything more than a short on your own. Meaning, no matter how much you love anime, you, you're not going to be able to make like a masterpiece with just yourself it takes tons of people to make and what's interesting about this is it's actually it actually comes straight from the creator of Azoken's uh Owada Sumito he went to school and while he was at school while he, while he was at a prestigious art school he attempted to make an anime and for the two minutes that he was able to create, it took him two years to make it. <laughs> oh, yikes. <laughs> it's sort of like a wish fulfillment, like the sort of fantasy version of what could have happened if he'd abandoned this project sooner and found people who believed in the same things he did and who could construct things, that who could fill in the blanks that he couldn't and, and keep him motivated and just get everything done. Like, um, I find that really interesting. Well, because- what I also found interesting is... <clears throat> This is a truth that is hard won for him. Like he spent years learning this truth. It is given to us in the first episode within the first five minutes, um, just out of the mouths of babes. Like you can't make it on your own. Um, yes. And it's just taking his truth. And there you go. We're off to the races. Exactly. And it's possible that Asakusa suffered in order to learn this lesson as well, but we didn't get, we weren't privy to that. We don't, I don't think it happened though. I think that what she's been doing is basically sketching and getting better at sketching these things. Yeah, but I think she um, sees the sort of insurmountable task of turning just those sketches into um, a work of You know, like once upon a time, I wanted to be an animator. No. And I didn't know how to draw. (laughs) (laughs) I used like Corel Draw 
during my art class to make this elaborate undersea world in which this guy was diving down into this like place with like all this animated like kelp and stuff and bubbles were coming up and like he got stabbed by a swordfish and he bled out and like he died what a <laughs> his what a noble story you wrote his skeleton floated to the bottom you don't remember this? I was in Dairy, Dairy Field's like um, computer lab like every day after school for like three months. That could have been for any one, reason. <laughs> just working on this one thing. I was skipping classes just to work on it. We weren't in a lot of the same classes, I guess. You know, like I think as I go through this series, I'm going to be talking about some of my own failed creative projects and some <laughs> of the ones that like I realized I couldn't do it alone and I had to pull in collaborators. Even this project okashina podcast anime with friends is kind of like i can't do this on my own it's true you need a friend and it's me i i do i need them too i need an audience i need a friend a co-host i need an audience i needed someone to help me with the art and if i didn't have the vision and if i didn't recognize the talent in you and other people it couldn't happen so that's what like this this series gets me pumped man i mean i completely agree i felt very inspired after watching these two episodes even though i have no intention of making anime or anything else like that it's like go and make that anime it's it's wonderful like i just felt so refreshed after watching it it's such a pure and straightforward um emotional journey that they they put it on there's a big scene here where they sit down to watch the anime screening and they sneak they, they they're a little bit late so they come in and they go to the back and it's already started and it's future boy conan again so you know kanamori's kind of like at least she's curious about things maybe maybe the gears in her mind are turning about like what can i do to take the talent in this girl and like leverage it to my own benefit <laughs> Like, that could be happening, but it's not obvious. She's just She just appears to be kind of curious, and she asks a very simple question, and, and a sock set goes off and just... I mean, she, she just, is ready for that question. <laughs> yes, she d- details all the things I talked about at the beginning of this episode, and more. And she's only really stopped by um, the arrival of Mizusaki Tsubame, who comes in, and she's being followed by some... They're, they're called men in black, but they're probably her bodyguards that were sent by her dad, right? Or her, her parents, who don't want her to join an anime thing because they want her to be an actress like they are, or an actor like they are. She borrows a sucks's, like, camouflage hat, and she sneaks out into an adjacent theater. And it's Kanamori who's the, 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 the engine for all the action that takes place here. She basically, like encourages she encourages Asakusa to go next door abandon the screening and just throw herself into this this narrative that's happening right in front of them it's a very big and ridiculous thing that's happening and they they sneak up and they see that 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 Mizusaki is having an argument with her bodyguard and she's enjoying a strawberry milk and so there's a there's it's a stage it's like a stage for plays and things so they find out there's a secret door they go underneath the stage they pop up and in the ensuing chaos Mizusaki spits strawberry milk all over herself Asakusa grabs her by the hand and they run they escape through this sort of like um series of clever 
what, are, what would this be called even? In Japanese, we might call them karakuri, which is like the, the, the ninja house, you know, with the flipping walls and the, and the staircases that turn into slides. I mean, it's like a fun house or a... Yeah, the stage is almost like a fun house where they're escaping and she pulls a bunch of sandbags in kind of a cartoonish way. And like they each have a different effect until finally the the, the man in black that's pursuing uh, is thwarted by a staircase that turns into a into a into a slide. And then he goes sliding down and falls into a trap door. It's it's a thrilling, silly sequence, but. It gets the point across that um, that they have kind of an exciting beginning to this friendship, and Mizusaki turns out to be an animator. And in order to get her clothes clean, they go to a laundromat, and she's kind of astounded by the town. And you can see that she has some somewhat of the same like sort of dreamer sensibilities of Asakusa. There's there's a bit of mystery here, and I think you alluded to it, which is why she seems so out of touch with presumably her hometown. She doesn't seem like a recent transplant the way Asakusa is. Yeah, it's almost like she's she's been living in like very the rich life. part. Oh yes, <laughs> and kept away from this kind of life, and now she's seeing. And and what's nice about it is there's no real tension there. Like there's a moment. It might be an episode two where. She looks at Asakusa's backpack and she admires it. And Asakusa tells her that she spent all of her New Year's money on it. And Mizusaki thinks that that's roughly about $1,000. That's her first guess. And Asakusa says, no, it's $210. That's how much we get because my parents are working class. And, And yet it's not... They're not separated. Like, there's a little bit of that sort of like princess treatment for Mizusaki. She, 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 she's commit, she has these big dreams about being a person who animates by hand, right? But when push comes to shove and she actually has to do some animation by hand, she finds out that her hands get dirty. She has to constantly sweep and, uh, she's getting a bit of a cramp. Like, so like, she's had privilege. And she's had like she's been able to uh, do her drawing on. She's just a little out of touch. She's just a little out of touch, and they don't. They they might make fun of her a little bit, but they're pretty understanding about it, and they're super kind. Yeah, they they're just kind of happy to have a because Nizuzaki is all in on you know hanging yeah. out with them and yeah interested in anime and wants to participate. Like there's no guile or ulterior motive here and so her misunderstandings are literally that just a lack of knowledge a lack of understanding and they are happy to correct her without being snide about it whatever worries you might have about the character being aloof or sort of having this air of status about her it's it's immediately dissipated because she's she's got strawberry milk down her front and she's just laughing it off and you can tell right then that she's just the right person that she's just a good person that she's not going to take this like affront seriously there's not going to be this huge argument about like you shouldn't have taken me from that like there's some concern but it's mostly on the side of Asakusa 
she's worried that like they're butting in on this thing between uh, between Mizusaki and her parents, some some kind of family squabble. Mm-hmm. And she she will throughout these two episodes sort of like be cowardly when it comes to making waves or putting other people out of sorts. Asakusa, I mean. Kanamori's the one who's charging head forward, and I don't think Mizusaki even thinks about those things. So it's really Asakusa who's kind of like always taking a trepidatious step forward. And that happens when eventually they have to figure out what they're going to do. They're like, oh, um, we can't we can't join the anime club because Mizusaki's family won't allow it. But what if we called it the the film research club? And I I like how the the adult is completely just powerless. Yeah, he's no match for Kanamori. Like she just no. runs him. She runs circles around him, and he is completely cowed, and gives her it seems whatever she's able to take. There's like the introduction of the weirdest character in the series, I think, or at least the series so far. Um, there's the guy that becomes the teacher that becomes their advisor. He comes onto the scene. And he's like, my beard is heavy. <laughs> I think it's just getting too. I feel heavy because of my beard. Maybe. Maybe I should become a school advisor. And. Don, I do not know what this thing is about. <laughs> what the school advisor role is? No, I just don't get his character. I don't get why he's doing it. So, honestly, um, I had a couple thoughts about that. Uh, first, the from the perspective of the show, you need a foil who is not going to interfere in the kids' plans. And this this particular advisor seems to fit that bill quite well. Second, like in a lot of ways, depending upon the age of the youth group or whatever it might happen to be, uh, you know, the advisor may only have a dim view of what's going on anyway. And so it may just be poking fun at the fact that you've got these advisors that, you know, they're and from a titular perspective. Yes, they are the advisor. But from an activities perspective, they are clueless. They might as well be at a different school entirely. So let me ask you this. This is an important question. Are you ready? Have you ever grown a beard? And was it really heavy? I have never successfully grown a beard that didn't uh, either make me look absolutely horrific or (laughs) was so uncomfortable that there was no point in continuing. Oh, I love it. Um, We're in, as we get into episode two, it's basically about their, their um their clubhouse which is not so great (laughs) it's quite a disaster in fact it is it is a shack that looks like it is ready to fall down yes and in fact uh asakusa whose enthusiasm often runs ahead of her brain is doing one of her imagination journeys uh on the second floor using some kind of weird propeller belt. And uh, at this time, Kanamori Kanamori actually shows a lot of uh, 
knowledge about how reverse torque works and other things because she criticizes a lot of the design choices Asakusa's making on the fly. And um, No pun intended. It distracts her long enough for her to accidentally go over the railing, which the railing just disintegrates and she just falls right through it and goes fl- flying down onto her head. L- luckily not injured, other than her pride perhaps. Uh, but... That's sort of what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with holes everywhere, holes in the roof. <laughs> Not so great for doing animation with paper and stuff where rain could come in and damage it or elements. Yeah, or have any sort of materials sitting around inside. But they start developing grand plans right away. They do. They're, they're full of infectious energy. They're so excited to have a space. Even if it's a crappy space, they're like, this is great. I can see where it's going to be. And then, you know, Kanamori starts thinking about, well, how much money are you actually going to need to turn this place into something that's actually worthwhile? Right. Where can we get materials? So she, they, they go back and they're like, where can we get some supplies? Um, this is, right, well, I, they have a production meeting. Yes. And, and the two girls are like, the, Asakusa and Mizusaki, sorry, Asakusa and Mizusaki are like, just pie in the sky at that moment you know like i want to do this i want to do that they're not even thinking about what genre they're going to make they're not even thinking about what the story is they're just thinking about how much they can show off what they can do and kanamori takes a step back wisely she's actually pretty shrewd in a lot of these uh in 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 a lot of this episode because she doesn't quite she's she knows when not to push on them and when to let them just like fly off to the corners and she knows when to reel them back in. Yeah, I really view her as sort of a mastermind or the grounded one who's like, okay, you know, wonderful that you want to just showcase your talents. But if you don't do that in a meaningful environment, then no one's going to watch it. But she, she doesn't have to say that out loud. She just, you know, and I think she says something in one of these episodes when they're sitting on the the couch that was donated by Mizusaki's family. Um, you know, I can't, like, I, I shouldn't push them too hard right now. I need to just let them go on. Yeah, that's what I was referring to, that yeah. scene. I I did like how she knew when not to, when not to, like, pull too hard. It's almost like fishing, you know? Like, once you catch a, once you get a fish on the line, if you pull it and try to drag it in, the fishing line breaks. And the fish just gets away. But if you give them some slack, you can kind of like trick them into coming a little closer and closer. And then once you get them, you snag them and pull them in and you got your fish. But uh, she seems to have a good grasp on that sort of... She has a good sense for Mm -hmm. how how and where to... And what's nice about that is she's using this sort of power not to manipulate them into doing what she wants, but to really just have them work in a way that's going to produce the best product for this club. Yeah, well, she's really the impetus for the whole thing, as we we kind of didn't talk about it in episode one, but she puts Asakusa in a headlock and basically, like, propositions Mizusaki and says, hey, do you want to make anime together? <laughs> because uh, Asakusa doesn't want to show her her work, but once they overlay the two pieces. Once they start talking about things and they start seeing, they start recognizing the talent in each other. So like, uh, 
Asakusa recognizes like that she's that the Mizusaki's a character art person, and Mizusaki recognizes that uh, Asakusa does concept art, and that's something that uh, that Asakusa hasn't found yet with anyone else. So, like, and it's Kanamori who brokers that deal of making anime together, and and here again we see her. What else happened in this one? Let me see. This, uh, well, I can tell you, this had um, the very large scene where they go down and they find the old animation supplies in the locked closet. And that's where you were going, yeah. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? And I just, I thought this was a tremendously wonderful scene in that I knew, they, they essentially describe, this is how animation is was made. This is how... The whole process works. You have this big frame you have to put. And yeah. I knew this from my own experience. I, I, there's a, uh, I don't know if you follow the website Reddit or not, but every so yes. often someone will post um, a, a GIF of how they made animation in the time of Disney. And they have the big giant camera mounted stand and they show how they used it to like pan through and to do zoom effects and to do other things like that so uh i had been able to see all this before but my when i was watching with my kids they one of them said is this really how they make animation and i said yes it is and they they did such a great job of describing it and they described they were using it to look at the the windmill that was spinning in the wind that stuck out over the um water and they're looking at it spinning and they're describing the different process and perspective that you need to have in order to get the vision to look right Uh, and i mean that was moving so fast i didn't even get a chance to fully absorb the lesson that they were trying to impart there um but i i just absolutely loved that they were making it such a compelling story um and then they get totally caught in their flight of fancy and they're doing all sorts of stuff um while the weather turns worse and worse outside Yes, so they can't even get their desks that day. No. <laughs> oh, but they did find the animator desk as well. That's what they were really there for. And um, Mizusaki recognizes it without even looking underneath the tarp. I was impressed. She knows, which, she knows which desk is which. And she pulls it away and you see everything she was talking about. There's tabs. Uh, there's like papers with holes in them. And that's when they discover what you were talking about, the the pictures of the windmill. And it's crude and it's not fully realized and together they collaborate and they expound upon it. And yeah, like you were saying, they add perspective to it and they add the angle to the blades. Like it's almost like in order to animate something, you need to understand how all of the real world physical effects and and I mean, the physics of the real world would affect it. And and draw it in a way that it can respond to these things which may not actually be on the paper yet <laughs> but yeah i i thought that was really interesting and, and i thought it was nice. a brilliant scene and because it does so many things it imbues you with the excitement um that these girls are feeling it accurately and correctly describes the process by which these pieces of art are made um and it it gives you examples and shows it in the framework of furthering the narrative it just i mean it just did 
it just did everything for me. And I was like, gosh, you know, I just feel like you could watch stuff like this on every topic uh, to, to gain better understanding. It's amazing. I feel like Japan is really good at that, too, because it'll often do... Mm, this is more common in manga, but definitely they pick up successful series from manga and translate them into an anime series. But like shows about manga about cooking, manga about playing backgammon, manga about horse racing. Like they are highly detailed. You can learn so much from them, so much history, so much it, and it's it's in a palatable way, almost like when you would crack a textbook and it would have like, you'd be like, hallelujah. <laughs> they actually explain this with a cartoon. Thank God. I I would say that um, there's two examples that come to mind that may be useful for um, our friends and uh, and anybody else and, and you as well. Um, one is there are these um, comic books by Nathan Hale. Um which are extremely historically accurate and wonderfully researched with like primary sources uh, and are told in the form of a comic book with a narrator describing what's going on. There's actual historical battles that are discussed and it's amazing. And it was one of the first sort of things that my uh, oldest son was ever into, into reading and he just devoured them. And I- Nerd! (laughs) I I would strongly recommend to anyone because of just you're connecting with really good source material in propelled in a most compelling way. The other thing that comes to mind, you mentioned cooking. This is a show that I think was on Hulu um, and it had something to do with like 50. um, Essentially what they did is they took a simple task, a simple kitchen task, like cutting open an avocado or slicing an onion. And they would ask 50 different people, like, do this, you know, cut up a... a, Is this a live action? Or a pineapple. This is live action. Um, Okay. And it's incredibly amusing because you watch these people. Some of them know what they're doing, but most of them don't. And they're, I mean, you get to laugh because you can tell some of them, you know you have enough sense to not do some of the very silly things that these people do. But then at the end, they have a professional chef who comes out and says, well, this is this is the way that I do this particular task. And he shows you this particular way and explains why they do it this particular way. It was, it was I found it very compelling. It's a very short, very quick little series. It was very fun to watch with the kids. That's great. Um, that's pretty much everything I had to say about... Um this two episodes of Azoken. I mean, they're not super long episodes and they go by very quickly and they made me dream again. And they made me remember when I was studying broadcasting, I met people who I recognized the same excitement in. Like there were always people like when I was at broadcast school, there were people who They were there, but they weren't there. They didn't like share the same passion as I did. But I could see when I would, I would, I would recognize like one or two people in that class who like had it. And I immediately, I'm, I am the one who just like jumps out there and I'm like, let's do something. Let's make something. 
let's let's collaborate on something. And at first it was like we were just collaborating in class. We were doing projects together. But eventually we started collaborating outside of class and making little shorts and little music videos. And like I found out that this guy did rap. So I was doing a rap music video with him. And like we had the crappiest equipment. I was still shooting on videotape. We had no lighting and no sense of how to light a scene. And watching this series makes me go back to those days. The series I would eventually make with these people was called F is for Film. And it was one of those sort of like early internet review shows that also had skit elements. It kind of, a lot of the times we would pitch it as mystery science theater, but about movies uh, that were modern and in theaters and with kind of an internet twist. And I don't know if we were ever like onto something, but we felt like we were. And every week it got more exciting. And I think as I go through this series with you, I'm going to share little bits and pieces of my own experience. Like, for instance, you know, in this second episode, they went to this dilapidated shack and started their dream there. And we used to sneak up to the top floors of the building where we had our lessons for broadcast school. We would go up to the top floors and they were abandoned and there was construction that was never happening. So like abandoned floors filled with weird seventies decor, like weird shag, like red lush shag carpets, white mirrored walls, like just strange stuff. And we found a whiteboard and we used to write like the scenes out on the whiteboard. And then we'd like do kind of like the TMZ thing, like going to the different members of the cast and like saying like, what would your character do at this time? And like, we'd write it down and like, we, we would take pictures of it and then like print them out. And like, we'd have our whole like thing plotted. I remember we did like a music video in the garage and the whole place had this weird mystique about it. It used to vibrate in this weird, like, is this place teleporting? Is it on top of a hellmouth like in Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Or are we going to like be facing demons when we go downstairs? It was very strange. It, w- it was almost like there were localized earthquakes just inside this building. Still don't know what it was to this day. Building's gone now. Replaced by something else. But though that excitement reminds me so much of that. I can't wait to share more of that with you. And if anyone in our audience has any stories to share about sort of like joining a club or um, collaborating or gathering people and collaborators together, I want you to share with us and go to our Twitter. Um, it's at it's slash Okashina podcast. That's O-K-A-S-H-I-N-A podcast. Just go to our Twitter, go to our DMs, tell us all about your experiences and we will share them on the show. And if we don't get any, then we won't share any. But if we do, I think it'll improve It'll improve this feeling that we're all creating this together and that you guys are part of the story. Uh, Don, did were you ever part of a club growing up uh, or like maybe in college? So uh, I was involved in some clubs. One of the things in college, uh, my main hobby was singing. Uh, and I was in... A, an acapella group and I was in two other singing groups actually and so I spent 16 to 20 hours a week singing and I absolutely loved it and actually I started the the acapella group I was in in college was was started 
my freshman year, we got together a group of people and started singing. And by the time I left my senior year, like we had like a budget, we'd gone on tour, we'd produce CDs, um, we'd really been able to do all sorts of things. And it was it was super exciting. And and I felt that same sort of enthusiasm with like, you know, the world's your oyster. You can do anything when you're starting from scratch that way. So, you know, it does it does bring me back to some of those particular thoughts and, and how how much fun that was. Did now was this already established? Was the was the groups that you joined already like um groups of well-renowned so the acapella group was was not that was literally generated that year we had to like apply to get university like we did get university recognition and funding at some point we eventually started like doing events with the university Ah. it's fun it's interesting to say like i was never i was never as interested in attending concerts as i was in performing in them to me the the joy came out of the expression in the in the contribution, the the making of a beautiful piece of music, um, and it was I get that. it was beautiful because I was making it and not because it was beautiful in and of itself. And I don't put on I you know I mentioned that I had this music. I honestly wonder where those CDs are now. But it to me it wasn't as important to have the CDs to listen to them. It was important to make the music and make the CDs. Yeah, I and definitely... to have other people listen to it, right? I wanted to make it pleasurable for other people, and to have it be something like, "Yeah, that's good." You know that that mattered. On some level, I think I was creating stuff for my friends and I who were creating it. <laughs> yeah, like absolutely. We were so pleased with ourselves, and and I I don't think it ever took off beyond a few things here and there. I mean, we had a premiere at one point at a at an actual theater, which was pretty cool. And like, it's okay to do that. Like, I think I have the perspective of being older now where I'm looking back at it. But I imagine that these first fumbling years of creating animation, like when I was creating stuff very hard, you know, and a lot of times very frustrating because you want to create something good, but you just don't have the resources to do it. But in Azoken, you know, at this point, probably these characters years from now would look back at this only with fondness. I'm so glad you could join us for this uh, brand new series that we're doing. Um, It's a little bit different than anything we've done so far in that there's not a lot of antagonist energy coming off of it. Uh, The stumbling blocks are superficial i would say at least in these two episodes there's there's not a lot of tension and it's just sort of a celebration and i think that's okay in a time like this listening it's been a real pleasure uh we're really excited to get into this series it's something that we haven't done before and it's something that i've been wanting to do for a while uh it is our first uasa series um obviously he has a deep roster whether we visit a different series, we were considering doing ping pong at one point, and I, I think we may go back and do that one day. But for now, this is uh, sort of our Yuasa series, and I'm, I'm very impressed with what I've seen so far. Um, if you want to help contribute to our Patreon, it's 
part of the Orange Groves podcast network. That's patreon.com slash the Orange Groves. That will help pay for our hosting fees and any kind of incidentals like music or art or anything we want to commission for the show specifically. If you just want to buy us a coffee and say, hey, have one on me, uh, that will go towards supplementals and research material and paying for the various subscriptions that allow us to see these wonderful shows you can do that at coffee.com ko-fi.com slash the orange not slash the orange groves slash (laughs) okashina podcast um and you can just come and tell us what you thought of the show and uh, we, we would love if you went to your Wherever you're listening to this, probably like Apple Podcasts, and just leave us a review. Leave us a really good review because it helps in getting the show out to more people. And the more people that see it and the more people that kind of like generate enthusiasm for it, the more we'll be able to do once all this COVID nightmare is over, if it's ever over. Because what I'd really ideally like this show to become is something that we can spread to the community in a real tactile way. Like, I would love to take this show to Anime Next or Otakon or any of the big anime conventions, uh, Anime New York. You know, we're I'm from uh, New Jersey, so like that's where I see us. And I have a vision. I have a vision for this show, and you're part of it. And so are you, Don. Strangely enough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a good thing <laughs> yes it is we are probably tired because this is our first tuesday night recording and it's getting really late but thank you again for listening and we will talk to you next time goodbye oh no yes no i mean sure <laughs> what do you expect from us You're not even buying us coffee. You expect us to perfectly perform our sign-off? I would hope so. Go buy us a coffee, and I swear to God, Don's going to come up with, like, a full-on acapella version of our sign-off and our theme song. No, I... That I probably won't do, but I like the idea.